morning, everybody. So, what we're looking at today is we're going to continue our series in Hebrews. We are looking, we've moved on um, a little bit, we're now into Hebrews 8. Um, we made a little uh, jump from um, over Hebrews 7. And partly the main reason for that, if you listen to Steve a few weeks ago, he preached very much on the whole idea of Jesus and the priestly order of Melchizedek. So I'd encourage you to listen to that. It's very good. It's very, very much insightful into how Jesus is this um, wonderful priest of all priests. So we're looking today at Hebrews 8, and we're going to read from Hebrews 8, um, and on the screen is going to come on in verse 5 in a moment. But I thought I'd pray. And the thing I felt to lead me to pray this morning is that God will impact all of our senses this morning. Now, you might not taste very much of God this morning, but my, my prayer is, well, let me pray now. My prayer, Lord, that you would come by your Holy Spirit today and that we would have ears to hear what you would speak into our hearts and our minds. That we would have ears to hear, Lord, today. That we would go away changed, having heard your word this morning. That, Lord, our eyes would be open to see the things of God this morning. To see the very things that you would want to impact our hearts and our minds. That we would see that and that we would be changed this morning. Lord, that we would smell the aroma of Christ in the very words that we hear in the word today. That we would just smell the fragrance of Christ, the love, the peace, the wonderful fragrance of Christ as we hear your word. And that we would feel and touch and experience your heavenly presence as we hear your word, as we unpack the truth of your gospel. In Jesus' name. Amen. So let's start by looking at the text together. And, um, and let's start from chapter 8. And I'm just going to read a little bit here. And I was going to leave out the first five verses, but I just want to give you a bit of background here of what um, the writer is saying. So it starts off, the verse 1, he starts off, the point of what we're saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle, set up, set up by the Lord, not by man. So we have Jesus, who is a high priest, who is sat down in heaven, in the throne of the majesty in heaven, and serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle, set up by the Lord. And then it says, every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Every high priest offers these things to the Lord. In the Old Testament, the priest would have sacrificed every day, offered gifts to God every day. It was necessary every day. If Jesus, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest. For there are already men who would offer gifts prescribed by the law. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. The Old Testament sacrifices, the Old Testament offering of gifts prescribed by the law, 
is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. Everything that was shown had to be as the law said. It had to be right. It had to be a copy and a shadow of what was in heaven. It had to be exactly right. But that's all it was, a copy and a shadow. And then verse 6, But the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is a mediator is superior to the old one. And it is founded on better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It would, it would not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. And I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sin no more. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and aging will soon disappear. Amen. Wonderful. So this passage, in fact this whole letter of Hebrews, was written sometimes towards the end of the first century. And we know that in AD 70, that the temple in Jerusalem was completely destroyed. It was destroyed by the Romans and it would have ended the very long established Jewish sacrificial order. You know, there would have been quite an upheaval for the Jewish community. It would have been very devastating. And interestingly, subsequently from the point, Jews actually no longer offered sacrifices. Now, this letter was written around this time. So for the early Jewish Christians, the, the letter speaks right into the heart of what God was doing practically, but God was helping these Jewish Christians understand and see that Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice, that it's actually only in Jesus that we find total forgiveness of sin. It's in Jesus alone. There is no longer any need for any other sacrifice. As we read in, in verse 6, the ministry by which Jesus is the mediator, we can see, as the writer explains, is far superior to the ministry of sacrifices in the sanctuary. 
The passage today speaks of an old covenant, an old tabernacle, an old priestly order, an old way of doing things that has been replaced with a new covenant, a new way of doing things that is and through Jesus Christ. A new covenant that is written not on tablets of stone, but written on the hearts of people. The new covenant is written on each of our hearts. It's written on us as we follow Christ. A covenant that's not just for the people as they come into the temple, as they come and worship God in that place, but it's a covenant that's for all people, not just a chosen few. The message of Jesus, the good news of Jesus is for everyone. It's a covenant that all can access and enjoy and all can walk in the truth of. A covenant is a fancy name for a binding promise, a binding agreement between two um, parties. And you know, there's two types. There's the one between two people, which is a natural covenant. It might be something you agree with somebody, you make an agreement, a promise that you'll both uh, make and keep to. And then if one person breaks it, then the covenant is broken. That's it. It's broken. And then there's the other type. There's a covenant between God and another person. And if we look at the Old Testament where God has made covenants with uh, man, we find there's, there's a lot of promises that he makes. There's a lot of covenants that he makes. And there is a number of significant covenants that we read of in the Bible. And I just want to spend a few moments looking at those, just a couple of them. Firstly, Noah. We know that that's a covenant that God made, that he would never destroy the earth again. He'd never flood it. There's a covenant that God made with David, where he promised that his descendants would be established as the royal heirs to the throne of the nation of Israel. And there was a covenant that God made with Abraham. And if we read in Genesis 15, we'd see that that covenant that he made is he promised to bless Abraham's descendants and make them his own special people. It's wonderful to think that that is our heritage, that we have that wonderful covenant that God made with Abraham and we are the fruits of that wonderful promise. Now, it's interesting about this particular covenant in the way that God made it. Because when God made this covenant, he got Abraham to cut some animals in half and position the two halves opposite each other. And then he put Abraham asleep and then God passed between the pieces of the animals. And he made a promise that Abraham's descendants would possess the land from the river in Egypt to the river in Euphrates. It seems a bit of a strange thing, but it is a way that God was able to promise that that is what he would fulfill. And it was a, a covenant made with God on his own. It's usual for two parties to pass between, but God passed between these pieces of animal on his own. God's covenant was secure, steadfast, and eternal. It was dependable, and it wasn't dependable 
on Abraham. It wasn't dependable on him being awake. In fact, he put him asleep while this promise was made. God makes a covenant that is dependable on his faithfulness, on him, his word, his perfect plan and purposes. God has honoured that promise to Abraham. And then if we look at today's passage, you know, the writer makes reference to the old covenant or the promises that God made to Moses. And these promises were made as we remember the story of Moses going up the mountain, going and getting the Ten Commandments, and then coming down, and before he even gets to the bottom of the mountain, the people have already made an idol. I've already found something else to worship. And we know the story, the the tablets get broken. But the great thing about God and his grace and his mercy, you know, he is a God of promise. He makes a promise and he will never break it. He will never break it. So then he asked Moses to go up again and he gets some more tablets. You know, the grace of God and the mercy of God and that he will continue with his covenant promise. But as we read in this passage, that was a mere shadow, a mere copy of what we can expect in this wonderful new covenant, this wonderful covenant through Jesus. You know, the significance and the power of this new covenant, the far-reaching nature of this is greater than we could ever imagine. The, this, the fact that this new covenant reaches to the extremes of who we are, our identities as respected and highly valued adopted children of God, this new covenant allows us access into the very throne room of heaven where the old covenant couldn't. This new covenant gives us a greater awareness of who God is in our hearts and in our minds. A God who is glorious and perfect, faithful. A God who is good and overflowing with a great deluge of desire for us to know his love, his goodness, and his grace. And now what I want to do this morning is I just want to spend some time going over four ways where I can see that this wonderful new covenant can be outworked in our lives. And firstly, as we read in verse 10, the writer says, This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. And after that time, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. You know, the old covenant was a covenant of written rules. It was very much written down something to follow that needed to be followed. It needed to be kept. As we read, it was very important and they did it exactly as God prescribed. It couldn't be broken. It's not the old covenant, it's not a covenant of faith, but a covenant of law. You know, I think sometimes we can so easily get drawn back into that whole di- we've, what we've got to do, what we need to get done in order to feel value, in order to feel that we are who God says we are. The old covenant brings death. 
It brings death. It's powerless to save. It always kept a record of wrong. It's earthly, and it provided no way out. It's a law of works. It perfected nothing. The law was non-redeeming, non-pleasing. The law was a daily duty with no end, and it was never completely satisfied. Oh, it feels heavy, doesn't it? It was flawed. The old sacrificial system was flawed. But the new covenant, fortunately, is perfect. It's a covenant that's written on our hearts and it's placed in our minds. We're unable to understand it and process it and live by it. And we discover more about it and apply its truths to our hearts. You know, it's a new covenant that's eternal. Nothing can take it away. And it satisfies us completely. You know, the new covenant and how it outworks in our lives is powerful. And it brings such freedom, reconciliation. It brings hope. The new covenant brings hope in a very hopeless generation. It brings peace in a very unpeace-filled world. It enables us to find refuge and strength. You know, the, the new covenant is perfect in every way, and it not only brings freedom and life, it's something that's now in force today, that we can live in this eternal new covenant. And something that I think is um, quite wonderful about the new covenant is the fact that it is now eternal. It's almost like an eternal promise that sits in our hearts. There's an eternal atonement that we eternally freed from sin. There's an eternal salvation and an internal inheritance. The new covenant is heavenly and it's established by Christ and Christ alone. It redeems and pleases God and brings glorious success. It's a new covenant where death has lost its sting. You know, I think sometimes um, death still has power today. It's true. Because we don't actually know what happens when we die. We live by faith and trust that we will be with Christ. You know, sometimes I think we can be quite flippant with death. But death, it says in the word, has lost its sting. Death has no more power. We know as we trust in this new covenant, in the risen saviour, in the blood of Jesus, that death has lost its sting, that we go and know Christ. The new covenant is real and God has chosen to place those truths in our minds and in our hearts. The question is, what 
do we do with it? How do we act on the truth that Jesus' blood has set us free? Secondly, it says in verse 10, I will be their God and they will be my people. God says he will go with us wherever we go. We take God's presence with us wherever we go. You know, this verse speaks of a God who will never be separated from his people. He'll never leave us because he makes a promise that because Jesus has paid the price, the debt for sin on the cross, that he no longer sees our sin. He no longer sees the things that entangle us, that will come between us and God. That this has been atoned for, that the blood of Jesus has washed us clean. You know, the depth and breadth of this truth brings us closer to God. The awareness of this new covenant, because all God sees is the blood of Jesus. You know, that through his death, we have been given life. We have been made new. We've been made clean. That we walk in the victory and the love of Christ. Do we believe that? That we walk in the truth of that? It's the wonderful truth of who we are as Christians. That we can walk in the love and the grace of Christ. You know, we can step out in faith and be more than conquerors. That we might do something that defies our natural inclination and speak to people we might not normally speak to. We might be proactive in different ways. We might give and serve and minister in different ways because we know that we have been made clean by the blood of Jesus. God goes everywhere with us. And he sometimes speaks to us when we least expect it. You know, it's... It's quite funny. I feel today I'm finding it quite difficult. I feel like there's a challenge for me to really communicate something of the freedom and the joy of what it means to know Christ and the freedom that comes from his blood. You know, this new covenant, it is a victory that is secure for us that actually we, we can walk in and we don't need to hold back from walking in that victory. You know, I I just feel that God does go with us, this second point, that he is with us, no matter what the situation. I think sometimes God calls us to do things that we don't naturally want to do. You know, and I think that there may be challenges for us and decisions that we need to make in terms of doing things different in order for this truth to be communicated to those around us. And and as I was preparing for this, I was reminded of Jonathan. You know, Jonathan was Saul's son. And I was reminded of the moment when Jonathan was out fighting and they they were camped somewhere. And Jonathan just one day said to his armor bearer, come, let's go over to this outpost of the Philistines. And he says, perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. 
And he said, nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. And what I love about Jonathan is that sense of, you know, we're just going to go. We're just going to go and serve God and see what happens, no matter what the consequences. But there's a desire and a hunger to see the outworking of God's kingdom, whatever the consequences. And then the armor bearer says, do all that you have in mind. Go ahead. I am with you, heart and soul. You know, I think that there's something about these verses where the gospel of Jesus Christ has to really get a hold of us that we will actually be a difference in the world around us, that we would be salt and light in the world around us. You know, this week I was at a prayer meeting and um, the person leading it shared about um, some scripture from Isaiah 62, but a sense that, that we are lights in the darkness. The world is very dark and we are called to be light in a dark world. But we have a God that goes with us. We have a God that goes with us everywhere we go. So we can be confident that whatever happens, he will deliver us. He will give us the words to speak. He will give us the things to do which will enable us to be more than conquerors, that will demonstrate to those people around us that we have a God who is faithful, who has a covenant, a promise to us that he will not leave us. You know, I'm encouraged as we look to plant in Epsom. I've been encouraged as Abby and I have been praying and we've been praying as a group. I've been encouraged because God's encouraged us to make connections with people. Make connections with people that don't know Christ. Because the gospel is the hope of the world. And so we are making connections. We're literally making connections with people. Loads. We're sowing seeds that something of the hope, the life of Jesus Christ would be communicated through us. You know, when we talk to people, when we meet people and talk to them for the first time, you know, just listening is a powerful tool to communicate the gospel. Listening to someone as they talk about their lives. People like to talk. And actually taking the time to listen, they might actually say something that you can speak faith and hope into their hearts. We've got the hope of Christ in our hearts. It's been written on our hearts. We have the gospel, the truth that can help somebody know that Jesus is real. As we listen, as we come alongside people with the good news of Jesus, we have this, the hope in our hearts. It's been written on our hearts. It says in the word. It's been put in our minds, the truth of the gospel. And as we talk to people, as they open up themselves, as they open up their hearts to us, we can testify to the goodness of God in our lives. We can testify, we can say, you know, when I find those struggles, I find that I look to God. I look to God because he is my refuge. He is my strength. He gives me strength in these similar situations. You know, we can step out in faith and offer to pray for the situations that they might open up about. 
And we'll be surprised at how the kingdom of God advances, how people are impacted by the kingdom and the power of God because we step out in faith. God goes with us. God goes with us everywhere we go. He goes with us everywhere we go. Number three, they will all know me from the least to the greatest. And I love this about God's new covenant. I love this about the gospel, that it is for everyone. It's available to everyone. You know, you can find the gospel in the darkest, most dangerous reaches of the Amazon jungle. Jim Elliot went there. He took the gospel. And it was his wife that saw salvation amongst the deepest, darkest jungle. And you will find God as well in the most exclusive, most expensive, elaborate apartment in London. I mean, that's possibly where I feel called. (laughs) But you'll find him there because you'll find it everywhere because we know the gospel is for everyone from the least to the greatest. You'll find it everywhere. The risen saviour, the risen Lord can be found everywhere. You know, I love stirring myself about reading stories of um, Hudson Taylor, Jackie Pullinger, you know, these mighty men and women of God who go to the darkest, deepest places in the world and take the light of Christ with them. Such faith, such confidence, risking their lives to take the wonderful good news around the world to the least reached people groups. There's a hurting, broken world out there. Hurting, broken world. And actually, we have the hope of the world at our fingertips. You know, what and where has God called you? You know, in many ways, we don't need to go to China or South America. We need only to look on our doorsteps, our neighbours, our work colleagues, our family and friends. There are 200,000 people who live in this borough. There are 80,000 living in Epsom and Ewell. How are we looking of ways to communicate this wonderful good news to those around us? Because God can use all of us. He can use all of us. We have the hope of Christ in our hearts. And number four, Finally, it says in this passage, God will forgive all their wickedness and remember their sins no more. The great good news about this gospel is that our sins are forgiven. And they're forgiven because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. That we are confident in our sins being forgiven because of that sacrifice, because of the blood that has been shed. It's no longer animals. It was God's own son. He loved us so much that he sent his only son. He sent his only son. What a wonderful joy that we have been washed clean. Propitiation, that's it, isn't it, Mike? That we have been sanctified by the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. I've been forgiven. I think some of us, it's, it's a great truth that some of us, actually could walk in greater confidence in that nothing is unforgiven in our lives. 
We've received this grace. We've been justified. We've been made free. Sin has no more a hold on us. We've been made right with God. You know, um, recently, I just want to uh, encourage you, if you find struggle to get into the Word, I had this come through my door recently, and um, it's the UCB word for today. And it says, a gift from a friend. So um, I can't remember how it came into my, my, my door, but if you find it hard to walk in truth, if you find in the week, sometimes you find it a challenge to get through the week or get through certain days, then can I encourage you to find avenues and ways of accessing the Word of God? You know, I felt God remind me this morning how the Word of God is like manna that the Israelites would have received every morning as they were going through the Sinai Desert on their season of wilderness. Every morning, God would have provided manna for them that didn't stay till the following day. And I think we each need to find a way to access God's manner for our hearts and our minds. How do we access the wonderful, life-giving power of God? Do we have an app on our phone that helps us connect with the Word of God? You know, do we have um, you know, ways and means that we get verses come up on our phone in the mornings? You know, it's all very technical. I know this is very old school, but I, tap, I tapped into this a little bit this week. And it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. And it's five minutes. It's wonderful truth. You know, I was at another um, uh, meeting this week, and at this meeting, um, we were just going to plow straight in with the um, activity, the plans that we had for that meeting. But the guy leading the meeting says, oh, no, hold on a minute, hold on a minute. I just... I just got a a small thing I want to share with you. And he talked about a book that he was reading. And, um, and, And he shared a little bit. And then he said something which I thought, wow, that was God's word for me. And I think sometimes we can miss what God is wanting to say to us because of busyness, because of the all the things that we've got going on in our lives. But just for a moment, take time each day to get into his word, to understand what God is wanting to, the manner of God for you for that day, for that moment. God has forgiven us of our sins. That they are no more held against us. And as a result of this, we live differently. We live with hope. We live with that freedom that this brings. You know, we have the living free, and I love it that people are connecting into that. But if there are things in your heart and your mind which are still holding you back from living in the complete freedom, then receive prayer. Come and find others that will stand with you and help you be set free from things that hold you back. But there's nothing that holds us back. There's nothing that should hold us back from walking in the freedom of who we are and the children of God that we are. Because I love this truth that we have been set free. He says here, it says here that God will forgive And remember sins no more. That's the truth. He doesn't remember anything anymore. And we bring them to him and we find freedom and joy and peace and we live in freedom. We live differently. We no longer crave things that satisfy us only temporarily. I think sometimes we can feel like we're being satisfied by temporary things and think that, oh, I just can't break free. 
But actually, maybe it's because you don't want to break free. Sometimes we can crave those things because we think they will satisfy, but they will never satisfy. Things that are temporary will never satisfy. The only thing that satisfies deep in our hearts is Jesus, is the love of Jesus. He will set you free as you trust and put your faith in him. The new covenant satisfies. The old covenant is always demanding more and will never be satisfied. Jesus, we thank you for your new covenant. We thank you that it is a covenant that sets us free. It's a covenant where you said that you will be with us, that you will put your law in our minds and you write them in our hearts. Lord, it's a law of grace, of mercy, of faith and trust in the risen Savior. And we give you thanks. We give you thanks for that. And I just pray for everybody here, Lord, help us this week to live more in that law of grace, more in the law of the new covenant, more in the sense of who we are in you, living in freedom of the blood of Jesus that has set us free. Jesus, that we will think differently in the way we live our lives for you, Jesus, that you are our hope, that you are our rock and our security is in you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.